theyeshiva.net. So this morning, Parshas Vayigash, we're going to learn together Be'ezer Hashem Yizbarach, two pieces, two short pieces of the Svas Emes of Parshas Vayigash. It's not the first time we're learning a piece of the Svas Emes. Svas Emes literally means the lip of truth or the portal of truth, the entrance, the entrance, the vista into truth, like the lip, the svas, safa, means a lip, it means language, it represents the vista into your mouth. It is a Hasidic work, it's a Hasidic work on Chumash, and on the holidays, that was authored by Rabbi Yehuda Aryeh Leib Alter, who was the third Master the third Rebbe in the Hasidic dynasty of Ger. Rabbi Yehuda Leib Alter was born in the year Tofrej Zion, Chavtes Nissen. Tofrej Zion, which would mean 1847. He was orphaned at a young age and raised by his grandfather, the first Ger Rebbe known as the Chidushe Harim, Rabbi Yitzchak Meir, Rabbi Itcha Meir Alter, who was a student of the Kotzke Rebbe, Rabbi Menachem Mendel Morgenstern. And after the Kotzke Rebbe passed away in the 1850s, the Chidushi Harim became a Rebbe in Gur, which is not far from Warsaw in Poland. He raised his grandchild, Rabbi Yehuda Aryeh Leib, because his father passed away, Rabbi Avram Mardachai, his father passed away very young, as most of the children of the Chidushi Harim. And uh, when the Chidushi Harim passed away, for a few years he was succeeded by Rabbi Henech, uh, of Alexander, of Alexander, but later the Svasemis, Rabbi Yehuda Aryeh became the third Ger Rebbe, one of the great leaders and masters and sages of Polish Jewry at the end of the 19th century. He passed away on Heishva Tafresh Samachai, 1905, so he was born 1847, and he passed away 1905. Svasemis is a classic work, it's an extraordinary work, and uh, it's very brief and concise and cryptic. I took here two pieces today that I believe are very, very fundamental. There is a Sikha of the Lubavitcher Rebbe, Lukutei Sikhas Parshas Vayeshev, volume 25, that really takes this point and expands it and elaborates on it and explains it in extraordinary ways, and that helped me really understand, I think, the depths of what, part of the depth of what the Svasem, but part of the ideas and the insights that the Svasemis is conveying here. But this is not just a piece, it's really a fundamental approach to Jewish unity and a fundamental approach to personal unity. How do we create inner harmony in the paradoxical forces of our own lives? That's really the question. That's why we titled the class the way we titled it, because that's really the big question that's being addressed here. So it's a story about the Shvatim, but it's really a story about every one of us, how to integrate the opposite forces within yourself. So let's begin. It's actually his last year. Tafresh Samach Dalad is 1804, as I said. He passed away one year later, 1805, in Gurin, Poland. So this is the last year of his teachings, because the next year, 1805, he taught only a very little, he fell ill, and then he passed. So this is Vayigash Tofresh Samach Dalad. That's when it was said, and I assume that's when it was put on paper. And he begins, Vayigash Elav Yehuda. The opening of Vayigash is how Yehuda approaches Yosef. And we all know the story, after Yosef takes Binyamin as a slave, accusing him of stealing the viceroy's silver goblet, Yehuda now goes to Yosef, pleading with him that he should let Binyamin go free and go back to his father Yaakov, and he, Yehuda, will remain a slave in Egypt in lieu of Binyamin. The Medrash. Comes the Medrash, and on this posik, the Medrash Rabbah quotes the famous posik of Eoiv Mem Aleph, Job 41, Echod Be'echod Yigoshu V'ruach One will encounter the one, Echod Be'echod, 
there will be, so to speak, a head-on collision. Yigoshu. Yigoshu means when two people or persons or personalities approach each other. And the Medrash says that this is the moment when echad be'echad, the one encounters the one, the unique one, Yehuda, gets close to Yosef. And what the Medrash is saying is that at the surface this was a colossal confrontation between the king of the Jews, Yehuda was the king of the brothers, Melech Shebeshvatim, and the king or the prime minister of Egypt, the second in command. So this is a colossal and very uh, loaded confrontation between two personalities, two forces, on one level. But on a deeper level, what was really happening is the brothers were coming together. Because soon Yosef would reveal his identity to his brothers as a result of this conversation, as a result of Yehuda asking to be the slave instead of Binyamin. Yosef won't contain himself anymore. And he's going to tell his brothers, Ani Yosef, I am Yosef. Is my father still alive? And what's going to happen is the two brothers are going to actually meet each other. And this becomes the focus of our conversation. The Isa. It says in Pirkei in the Ethics of the Fathers, chapter 5, Machloikas l'shem shamayim soifu l'hizkayim. The Mishnah distinguishes between two types of fights, two types of uh, conflict, two types of disputes. One that is not for the sake of heaven and one is for the sake of heaven. When it's not for the sake of heaven, he says it doesn't endure. It endures. What does it mean that it endures? What endures? So he says, It means at the end of the machlaikas, there's no hate, there's no divisiveness, there's love. This is based on the Gemara in Kedushin, Taflamit, Kedushin, page 30, where Chazal say, Rebchia, the son of Abba says, that even a father and a child, a Rebbe and a student, when they learn together, they often become enemies of each other. Enemies not this political sense or in the military sense but enemies ideologically in terms of disagreements conflicts, different ways of thinking about things. But the Gemara says they will not leave each other until they become beloved to each other. At the end there is always at the end Sufa also means a, a conflict, but Sufa also means the end. Ava besufa. At the end of this conflict is love. Soifal hiskayim. What does it mean? The machlekas will be niskayim. Both perspectives will be validated. Why? Because it's l'shem shemayim. Kikol machlekas ashvatamayel l'shem shemayim. Because the entire conflict and debate between the tribes was for the sake of heaven. We'll explain what that means. So the end of such a machlaikas is not disintegration of both sides or even the obliteration of one side for the sake of peace with the other. Rather, at the end, a larger binyan, a larger structure is created from the very argument. In other words, both sides ultimately are mekuyim, soifal iskayim, both sides ultimately endure. Both sides are ultimately validated and confirmed. Ah, you say practically, if the Machlaikas comes to an end, one won and the other didn't. He says, no, there's something deeper. When the argument was for the sake of heaven, so then what happens is, at the end of it, a larger structure, a larger vision is developed. And that vision integrates and includes all of the various perspectives and dimensions. Uke'ain, to understand this, it goes back to the genesis of the history of this family. And here we come into a fascinating reflection about this whole parsha. You know, we often look at Vayeshev as the beginning of the Machloikas. Yaakov has children, he has 12 sons, and in the beginning of Vayeshev they come back to Canaan and they can't get along with each other. Yosef is loved by his father in a unique way. He weaves for him this special multicolorful coat, Ksoyinus Pasim. Yosef has all of these dreams, these two dreams that enrage his brothers. They loathe him, they can't speak peacefully to him. But really goes back to the beginning of Ayetze. 
When Yaakov ran away from his brother Esav, he left his parents' home. And on the way, we all know the story in the beginning of Ayetzeh, the sun sets and he needs this place to sleep. The Pasuk says he takes from the stones and he lies down there. Later when he wakes up, it says he takes the stone. And our sages are perturbed by that change. In the beginning, there was many rocks and at the end, there's only one rock. And they famously say, and our sages say, the rocks began to quarrel. Each one said, I want the tzaddik, the righteous one, to lay his head on me. So the rocks are fighting. Everybody wants the head of Yaakov. I want the tzaddik to lay on me. What are we supposed to make of this? We're learning a story in Chumash. And this is a general question. You know, people often ask me this question. I'm learning a story in Chumash. It says Yaakov took the stones of the place and he placed them around his head, as a support system, as a protective uh, protective fortress. When he went to sleep, okay. Come our sages in the Medrash. And Rashi quotes it and said, no. There's a whole other story here. The rocks are fighting. Like, what's the point? Like, what's wrong with the story itself? Why do we need this whole new miracle and this whole new reading into the story to completely extricate the story from its literal interpretation by introducing this whole new episode about rocks fighting? Now, what happens? God doesn't want this fight between the rocks. So what does he do? He turns them into one stone. That's why in the beginning of the story it says Avnei in the plural, many rocks. And at the end it's only one rock. They all turn into one. What is this supposed to mean? Which brings us to another question. Even if the stones are one, the head could still only be on one location. <laughs> Let's say you have 12 mattresses and so they're all being a support for you when you go to sleep. And they get into a fight. Everybody wants to be under your head. My, mat- my mattress doesn't get into a fight at night. But let's say you have 12 pieces and they all got into a fight. So what does Hashem do? He turns them into one mattress. Great, granted. But your head still can't be lying on every part of the mattress. There's part of the mattress where my back is. There's part of the mattress where my arms are. There's part of the mattress where my legs are, where my feet are. So Hashem turns all the stones into one stone. Wonderful, gewaldic. Why did they stop fighting? So the Sfasemis reveals the deeper interpretation here. What their sages are saying is they're introducing an incredible insight here. Yaakov is about to go to the place where he's going to get married and build his family. Yaakov is one person, but many children are going to come from him, and there's going to be conflict. This is all how the Chazal understood that the Torah is intimating the future. That's where the Medrash says, Yaakov Avinu took 12 stones. Why the number 12? The passage just says he took me'avne from the stones. He took 12. Because they saw in this story the, the beginning, the genesis, still in a very nebulous fashion of what's going to happen. The, the rocks fighting with each other is symbolic of what's going to happen in this family. And what still happens among the Jewish people? Every rock says, I belong under the head of the tzaddik. You can be here. But remember who gets the head. Remember who manifests, who captures, who embodies the head, which is, of course, the central nervous system, the primary seat of life, this place of the soul, the identity. It's all in the brain. The brain is the source of consciousness, the source of vitality, the source of life for the entire organism. So yes, you have a role to play. You're under the legs of the tzaddik. You're under the back of the tzaddik. You're under the arms of the tzaddik. You support the vertebrae of the tzaddik, the spine of the tzaddik. You support a different part of the tzaddik. I'm the head. Omar. And the Medrash continues that Yaakov Avinu said to himself, if they can join together, if they can heal, if they can repair, in Hebrew comes the word ichoy, which is actually the same root like ach, brother. If they can become brothers, 
if they could learn to get along, if they can converge, if they can heal. Ichoy HaAlexandris, and Gemara is an Alexandrian knot. The Alexandrians in Egypt had a special knot that was very, very powerful, very potent. It's called Ichoy HaAlexandris, the Alexandrian knot. And Gemara have a thing in Mayit Katan. So that's where the word Ach comes from, Achva, brotherhood. It's fusing together disparate, distinct people. If these 12 stones could come together, then I know that I'm going to be able to establish 12 tribes. Each one will begin a pathway towards the eternity of Jewish history, because the structure of the Beis Hamikdash comes from the power of all the 12. As it says in Tehillim, 122 Kufchov Beis, Shesham Alu Shvatim Shifte Yudke Edis Yisrael. You remember what David Amelech says, right? Shiramalus Ladovid. Samachti Baimrimli Beis Hashem Nelech. I was so happy when they told me, let's go to the house of Hashem. Our legs were standing at the gateways of Yerushalayim, the built Yerushalayim, the city that chubra, that connects, that brings everybody together, where all the Shvatim can go up to. Yaakov understands that the only way the Beis Hamikdash can be built is from the input and from the convergence of all of the 12 forces of all of the Shvatim. So when the rocks are fighting, the Chazal really see in this a representation of the various forces within Yaakov himself because 12 sons are going to come out of him and they're not going to easily get along. We're going to see why. And Yaakov says, if these stones cannot work together, they can't become one. Ultimately, there's no future here. The 12 Shvatim will not be able to emerge in a way that they can come together and create the Beis Hamikdash, Hashem Olu Shvatim. V'lochein yesh yud Beis Sha'arim l'chal shevet sharechat. And that's why the Navi Yecheskel, chapter 48, and the Radak explains, explains that we have the 12 gates that take us into the Beis Hamikdash. Why 12 gates? The answer is every Shevet has their unique gate. The Arizal explains in Priyat Chaim that there are different nuschayas, different uh, texts for davening because the different shvatim need different texts because there are different gates to go into holiness. There's different gates to encounter God. That's why we say in Tehillim and Halal, Pischuli, Sharei Tzedek. The Jew says, open up for me the gates of justice. Umeshivin, and the answer is, Zeh Hashar Lashem. This is the gate for Hashem. Which one? Zeg, Vigamatri Yud Beis. The word Zeh is two letters, Zayin and He. Zayin is seven, He is five, that's twelve. In other words, Zeh Hashar Lashem, the gate of Hashem, consists of twelve gates. Shetzarech Liyos Nasa Shar Echad, Hakoilu Kolo Yud Beis Shiarim. Ultimately, you're going to have to find one gate that encompasses all of the 12 gates. And that's where our sages tell us in Mishnayis Midois that there were 12, 13 gates in the Beis HaMikdash because Echad HaKoyal Kula. There is 12 distinct gates and then there's one that is built from everybody together. It encompasses everybody together. So there is the individual path of each Shevet. Like the Arizal says, different texts of Davening and then there's the Nusach HaKoyal that text that encompasses, it doesn't eliminate any. It doesn't go into a narrow path. This gate is so expansive, it's so broad, that everybody finds their path in this path. That's number 13. That's the unity. Echad HaKoyal Kulam, the one that encompasses all of them. V'lachain, therefore, Ach HaShem Yosef. Therefore, what happens right after Yosef reveals himself to his brothers? He falls on the neck of Binyamin. It says that Yosef fell on the neck of Binyamin and he cried. And Binyamin cried on the tzavar of Yosef. So our sages again say, that Yaakov was crying for the structure of the Beis Hamikdash that's going to be destroyed. Right? It says in Medrash on this parsha. 
that Yaakov cried al Tzavarev on his necks because it represents the two Beis Hamikdashin that were built in the plot, in the section, in the territory of Shevet Binyamin, which was in Yerushalayim. So Yosef felt the destruction of the two Bate Mikdash, so he cried. And Binyamin was crying on Yosef's neck because of the destruction of the sanctuary in Shiloh. The sanctuary in Shiloh stood for 369 years before David built and Shlomo built the Beis Hamikdash. And he was crying for that destruction. What's the connection? Yosef just revealed himself. Why is he crying now for the Beis Hamikdash? Shenikrit Tzavar. Our sages say the Beis Hamikdash is called the neck. Kemigdal David Tzavarich. It's the neck of the world. Why the neck? The neck is that, uh, it's that transmitter, the channel, the memutza, the intermediary between the head and the rest of the body. The tzava represents that which channels, channels the head and the power of the brain through the central nervous system, through the neck, down into the whole body. That's what he says. So the Beis is called the neck of the world because the Beis is the place that manifests, it channels the cosmic head, which means the brain, the source of consciousness, the source of divinity into the world. And the other way, Maila, it generates and it uplifts the Reach Nechayach, the aroma that comes from our life in this world upwards to the head. The neck fuses the head with the body. You have the corner, you have the esophagus, you have the trachea, the food pipe, and the windpipe, the arteries, the veins, and the entire nervous system going through ultimately the stem of the brain and being transmitted to the body. That's the base HaMikdash. This is the symbol of the ladder that Yaakov Avinu saw stands on earth but the head reaches heaven. That ladder is the neck that interconnects heaven and earth. That's the Beis Hamikdash. So now Yosef is crying for that Beis Hamikdash. What is the Svasema saying here? So he finishes off his last words. Now you'll understand what does it mean a machloikas, a fight is for the sake of heaven. How to find a place in our world that this place should become a source where the name of God should be able to be revealed and manifested in the world. How do we find a place in our world that that place can become the conduit, it could become a manifestation where the presence of Hashem can be revealed in this world? That creates what's called machloikas l'shem shamayim, a machloikas for the sake of heaven. Which is why the Beis Hamikdash, which is that home, has 12 gates. And then you need the 13th gate. And Yosef is crying over this Beis Hamikdash. What, what does this mean? We are introduced here into the real essence behind this type of machlaikas, behind this type of fight, behind this type of conflict. You see, he says, machlaikas l'shem shamayim is the question of how do I find a place in our world where godliness can be revealed and manifested. Hashem is undefined. In the language of Chassidus, when you speak about elikus, when you speak about godliness, you have to be introduced to the word pshitus. Pshitus means absolute simplicity that is transcendent and removed from any definition or any description or any particular feature or any particular space or time or description, spiritual or physical. That's what the word pshitus means. Pshitus comes from the word poshut, which means simple, but it also means divested. Ufashat, right? Ufashat as begadav. Remove your clothes. You have to remove from elikos any definition, any description, any physical image, and also any spiritual image. When it says don't make an image of God, it's not just a physical image. It's also a spiritual image. There's no picture. And therefore there's no one color, and there's no one location, and there's no one type. There's no one character. But here's the challenge. 
We live in a world that's based on definitions. We live on a world in a world that's based on descriptions and categories, and therefore divisions and boundaries and structures. It's the only way to operate. The organism can only operate with very, very meticulous and detailed structure. Every single cell has its functionality and its purpose, and they can't confuse themselves. They can't get confused with each other. Every limb has its functionality and its purpose and its utility. So he says, what's machlekes l'shem shamayim? When we're looking for the space, how to find a place in our world where shem shamayim could be revealed? Can I find a place in our world that pure divinity, the truth, could become ch- channeled through it? Oh, this is a great challenge. Is there a place that can become a conduit for that which transcends space? And this is where Machloikas comes from. Everybody finds a different place. Everybody sees a different space. <laughs> Beautiful Vart from one of the early Hasidic masters. He said that in the early generations of Hasidus, there were sometimes some fierce debates between various tzaddikim, the students of the Baal Tov, and the students of the Magad, and some later generations. So sometimes fights really come from deep uh, insecurities or big, big egos or uh, control. But we're talking here, machloikas l'shem shamayim. At the source, the real, real machloikas is a different type of machloikas. Darizal says that before creation, the light of the Ein Saif filled the entire space. There was no space. There was only Ein Saif. And the Tzimtzum, what is, what, what's the Tzimtzum? <laughs> the Tzimtzum is Hashem concealed His infinity, creating an empty space where there can be room for space. There can be room for Mokim. There can be room for otherness outside of infinity. Yeah, this is called the Tzimtzum, the empty space that Rizal talks about. So this great Sadik said, it's, it's quoted in a sefer called Beis Rebbe, fascinating biography of the Balatanya, but he quotes it from one of the great Sadikim. He says, the Bashamtev came back to the world, the Bashamtev came to the world, and he brought infinity back into the empty space. So the game is over. So Einoid Movade gets revealed. But he says, this is what the Machlaikas does. He says, Machlaikas, everybody pulls the light of Ein Soif to another place. So he says, I'm pulling the light this way. You're pulling the light in that direction. So what happens? An empty space is created because I pull the light, let's say, to the east and you pull the light to the west and you pull the light to the north. So now there's an empty space again in the middle and the tzimtzum was recreated. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very profound, a very sophisticated way of explaining machlekes l'shem shemayim. Machlekes means that machlekes is for shem shemayim. How do I find a place that captures infinity? How do I find a place that becomes conducive for that which transcends space? How do I find a time that becomes a vessel for that which transcends time? How do I define a lifestyle, a schedule, a structure that could become a conduit for, for heaven, which transcends earth? Different people find different spaces. Different people find different spaces different makayim. You find your makayim. When Yosef is crying over Binyamin's Beis HaMikdush, what is he crying over? The argument is coming because of a Beis HaMikdush. Because we're looking for the neck. We're looking for that which will transmit, which will channel the infinite energy into the physical world, into my physical life. So because of Beis HaMikdash, because we're looking for a home for God, this is where the conflicts emerge. And therefore, Yosef is crying for that, because that's where Machlaikas is created, and that's where ultimately destruction happens, if it's not fused together. He doesn't only cry for the Chorban, he cries for the Beis HaMikdash itself, which will create a Chorban. Because everybody pulls in a different direction. Everybody finds their own space. So when Yaakov is running away from his brother and he's on his way to build up his own home, to build up his own Beis HaMikdash, to build up his own family, we already have the genesis in a very nebulous fashion of the machloikas and of the fights. 
Every rock from the 12 rocks is saying, I'm the head. I'm the seat of the energy of Yaakov Avinu. His consciousness comes through me. Yes, the body can receive it through me, no question. But there's only one boss, it's in the head. (laughs) Not everybody can be the brain. If you take out the brain of the head because you want to lead, you're dead. But what really happens? Hashem says, no, 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 no. It's one rock. It's one rock. So why do they stop fighting? Because... When you're one with me, so then you have the head. There's also me having the head, because we're one. That's what Yaakov needs to learn. Yaakov is going to have to understand that we need to take the 12 rocks and turn them into one rock. What does it mean, turn them into one rock? Realize that from the diversity, we create a structure that is larger than all of them, and therefore can integrate and encompass all of them without eliminating and amputating any one of the rocks. That's what happens. And then where Yaakov's head lay doesn't matter anymore. It's one rock. (laughs) You know, it's like when you have a a student and you invest in the student and the student is so successful or your child is so successful. You don't get jealous. I want the fame, or some parents do. Right? We're jealous of everybody, but when you see your child's success, (laughs) why didn't I have that success? You see your spouse's success, or like, oh, I wanted that success. There's something off. If your arm is successful in accomplishing something, the other arm is I want that success. Why you? The nose gets jealous of the arm and the arm gets jealous. <laughs> if you're exercising your leg and you really accomplish something, you know, as a soccer player, as you guys call it in Europe, a football player, and you give a gewaldic kick, does the nose and, and the heart and the arm get jealous? I wanted it. No, it's you. Your leg doesn't compete with you. The brain doesn't compete with the leg. The leg doesn't compete with the heart. The pancreas doesn't compete with the liver and with the kidneys. It's all one organism, different functions. This is what Yaakov had to find in himself, the ability to bring together the rocks and saying, if they can get along, I'll be able to have Yud Beis Shmatim and a Beis Hamikdash will be created from all of them. Because what is the Makam of the Shekhinah? What is the space? The answer is there's different spaces. Each space captures some of the light. Together, they create something transcendent that captures the whole light. So that's the Machlechus L'Shem Shemayim. So you have 12 gates going into the Beis HaMikdash. You have 12 paths going through Kriyas Yamsuf. 12 paths going through the sea. You have 12 tribes. Yud Beis. And then you have the Shar Echa, the 13th. What's the 13th? The 13th is not one more. The 13th is the structure that's created from all the 12. The Rizal says there's a 13th Nusach of Tefillah that encompasses all of them. It doesn't choose one over the other. It's a structure that never competes. It's a structure that encompasses because it transcends all of them and therefore it integrates all of them. So when Yaakov is dreaming about that ladder that stands on earth and reaches heaven, that's the neck, that's the Beis Hamikdash, that's the Sulam, that's the human being who wants to integrate infinity into finiteness, who wants fusion in my life, there's going to be contrasting voices, contrasting forces. Each one has an authentic opinion expressing the space that they find to be able to access that truth. So in that moment, when he's envisioning the ladder, there's also a fight between the stones, and if those stones will never be able to come together and realize that there is a larger structure. If your intention was to find a space for divinity, ultimately your space is going to become part of the larger space that includes all of the various spaces. All the rocks will become one. Yaakov himself is one. But in his journey to get married, he realizes there's going to be 12 rocks inside of me. But Yaakov is the one who will also have to be able to integrate them. And this is what begins to happen in Vayeshev. Till Vayeshev, Yaakov is one person. His children are still children. In Vayeshev, they're now growing ups. And when they grow up, suddenly there is so much diversity. And the diversity creates a machloikas. What's the real machloikas? The real machloikas is not the pettiness that I can't get along with you because I don't like what your nose looks like and I can't deal with a different opinion. 
It says, Vatikani Rachel Bachoisa. Rachel was jealous of her sister. Rashi says, Kina Bemasa Hatoivim. She was jealous of her good deeds. Kina Soy from Tarbe Chachma, right? It says, The jealousy of scribes increases wisdom. The brothers saw Yosef and they realized Yaakov's love to Yosef and they understood that the future of the Jewish people seems to be going through Yosef and there's a profound, profound jealousy and conflict of a complete misunderstanding of what is the right space that you are developing for Shem Shemayim. That's the machloikas l'shem Shemayim. And at the end of the day, vayigashe love Yehuda. You don't eliminate Yehuda. You don't eliminate Yosef. Yehuda doesn't become Yosef. Yosef doesn't become Yehuda. L'shem Shemayim, Soifel Iskayim, all of the various factors endure because each of them becomes part of the structure. You see it in a marriage, constantly in a marriage. There's two couples disagree, but that's not a problem. It's not a problem. Different people have different preferences. This one likes the shades down and this one likes the shades up. This one wants it to be colder. This one wants it to be hotter. This one likes Florida and this one likes New York. This one loves the snow and this one runs away from the snow. This one likes Deary and this one likes Delhi. This one likes comedy and this one likes drama. This one likes, you know, going out and this one likes staying home. Okay, that's wonderful. As long as you're not threatened by each other, as long as there's no mistrust, as long as they don't accuse you of hating me and trying to undermine me, it's great. We listen to each other and we expand our horizons through each other. And every machloikas l'shem shamayim brings people to that place. And that's why the whole Gemara is made up of machloikas. <laughs> There's not a page in Talmud Bavli that does not have arguments and conflicts and debates. We're not afraid of that. On the contrary, the richness of Torah Shabal is created through all of the arguments. You don't have to be afraid of it. On the contrary, that's the beauty of it. It's the diversity that creates the richness of so many different opinions, which clarifies the truth even more. So a larger truth emerges. That's the The two verses that contradict each other. And then there's a third one that integrates them. So why do we have the two verses that contradict each other? Just go straight to the third. Because if you would go straight to the third, you would be missing the point. If you go straight to the third, you don't get the value of the paradoxes. By having the two verses that contradict each other, you now create a third verse that Yahriya Benam that integrates them. That's much deeper, much, much deeper. But for this I have to go out of my comfort zone. I have to get out of the ego, I have to get out of the fears, I have to open myself up to the Ain Saif, to the infinity. And that's the thirteenth gate in the Besamikdash, Shar Levi Echad that encompasses all the twelve gates. Pischuli Sharit said they come looking for a path. What's Zeh? There's 12 different paths. 12 different paths. Zeh. Zeh is your base. Then there's a 13th path. What's the 13th path? 13th path is that path in which there is convergence, but not convergence because we eliminate some of the rocks. Convergence because all of the rocks create a Besamikdash. They create a structure that is not limited to one particular dimension. And therefore, every self can find itself and lose itself in that structure. Because it finds itself there, it can also lose itself there. If I can't find myself there, I can't lose myself there. Because I feel haunted, I feel repressed. But if I can find myself in you, then I can lose myself in you. That's the 13th gate. So that's what happens to Yosef and his brothers. Ultimately, they have to learn that type of integration. Even though in the beginning there was a bitter, a bitter conflict. Question, wondering, why wasn't the machloikas of the, the machloikas of the misnagdim and the chassidim and the early generations of chassidim, why wasn't it framed this way by our teachers? It seems clear that it was for the greater good. When I was in school in Beis Yaakov, they actually explained it this way. But I know that in other circles it was explained with such angry emotions, which is understand, which is understandable. <laughs> so now you're asking a very good question. When do you say a machlaikas is l'shem shamayim? And when do you say a machlaikas is not l'shem shamayim? I can always say I'm fighting with you l'shem shamayim. 
When, is there, when do you say the Machlaikas is L'Shem Shamayim? When do you say it's not? The Mishnah says, Hillel and Shama is L'Shem Shamayim. Koyrech is not L'Shem Shamayim. He's also fighting Moshe. So let me, let me clarify this. It's important to understand. From God's perspective, every Machlaikas that God allows to happen in the world is for the sake of an ultimate, larger, greater truth that's going to emerge. Even Koyrech. By Koyrech fighting Moshe Rabbeinu, a deeper truth emerged. Whenever God allows a machlekes, and he allows a lot of them, it's really to crystallize different perspectives that ultimately introduces a larger truth. The question is where the person who's fighting is mentally while they're fighting. If I'm fighting with you and it becomes personal, I can't speak to you, there's now a vendetta where my insecurities are being fueled in such a powerful way. I cross the street when I see you. I cut you out of my life. There's no conversation. There's no forgiveness. There's no understanding. And I f- it's all about I'm going to win and win at any expense. There's no humility. There's no listening anymore. So I am now in a very, very narrow space. There's a different type of machlai, because when Hillel and Shammai were fighting, they did not cut off cord. They did not cut off from each other. In fact, the Mishnah tells us in Yevamah they continued to have relationships and marry each other. And not only that, Basila would always quote their opponent before they quoted themselves. The Gemara says in Erevit, that's why in the whole Mishnah is Basila's opinion is brought after Beishamah's opinion because Rebbe, the editor of Mishnah, came from Hillel. And basically, Basila would always give preference to Beishamah's opinions, even though they disagreed, but they would always quote first Beishamah's opinions. Machlekes L'Shem Shemayim is, I'm not looking to win, I'm looking for the truth. It's very different. You have it in the marriages. Two couples have different personalities, they have different ways of looking at things, they have different triggers, they have different responses to things. Each one brings out their unique flavor in the relationship. That's Machlekes L'Shem Shemayim. You're channeling God, you're channeling truth through your personality. And you're channeling truth through your personality. And that's what makes the beauty of a good marriage. Not that we agree always. How can we agree when we have different personalities? Unless one of our souls is amputated. You know the t-shirt, I'm easy to get along with once you learn to worship me. (laughs) But if you don't learn to worship me, I'm not easy to get along. That's called L'Shem Shemayim. We're trying, we're looking for truth. But my search and your search may take us to different places. And my brain thinks differently and my soul is sensitive to certain realities that your soul may not be sensitive to. That's why we communicate with respect. The argument endures because the argument was not about victory. It was about truth. And then ultimately, we find a truth that encompasses both sides. So both sides endure. Then you have a machlaikas where I'm threatened by you. I'm not looking for truth. I'm looking to win. I'm looking to defeat you. I have to delegitimize you because you threaten me. That's a very different type of machlaikas. Over there, this terrible negative energy, we become narrower and narrower and narrower. Everyone digs in. They dig in their heels into their quagmire and I become stuck in that. It's a very different type. From God's perspective, ultimately, from everything comes out a greater good. So you have to know with every machleik is what's happening. Now by the Shvatim, it was very intense. It says they couldn't speak peacefully to him. Rashi says because they couldn't fake it. They couldn't be echad v'pev, echad v'lev. They were earnest. So when they hated Yosef on the inside, they couldn't play diplomacy on the outside and just be nice. That's true. Nonetheless, we say by the Shvatim, it was still a machleikus l'shem shamayim, but it was so intense, it was so different, it was so powerful that it was expressed in a very powerful way. And we see what they did to Yosef, which is very, very hard to understand. But in those first generations, the differences were so powerful. But because it was L'Shem Shamayim, so ultimately, all aspects are integrated. Now you're asking a question. What are the 12, 13 parts within us that we are fighting and we're trying to integrate? Is there a specific reference to these parts? So now we come to the second piece. 
Now come to the second piece. We're now going to take it personally. We're going to go in person. We're going to go one step deeper. Now, one of the people in the class is asking, so in that original machloikas between the chesidim and mesnagdim, what type of machloikas was it? So the truth is that there were two elements to that fight. There were those who were very, very genuine. The Vilna Gon, right, was a very holy and righteous person. But there were terrible, terrible rumors that came to him. False testimony. There's a story that they told him that the Alter Rebbe on Tisha B'av was eating meat, drinking wine, dancing with women. But the person who said the story just failed to mention a few points. Tisha B'av was Shabbos, so you're supposed to eat and drink, including meat and wine. The Alter Rebbe had a new baby, a granddaughter, that was born, and she was a few weeks or a few months old, and he was sitting by the table, Shabbos, and she was on his lap, and they were singing a niggin. And he was, he was involved in the niggins. He was dancing with a little girl who was a few weeks or a few months old on Shabbos that was on Tisha B'Av. So a person who tells such a story, a person who tells such a story, this is so sad, it's so tragic. And the Vilna Gaon, who was a holy Jew, lived for years in Hakloys in Vilna and learned most of the day and most of the night, slept only a few hours a night, and even that was with a half-hour breaks. He would sleep for half an hour, get up, sleep for half an hour. And his, his, his righteousness and learning was incredible, and as was his genius. The Alter Rebbe writes on him, Hagon, Hachosid, Nishmasi Hayden, he calls him the Gon, the Chosid, the pious one, after he passes away. Hagon, Hachosid, Nishmasi Hayden. He warned the Chassidim not to speak negatively. So there were those who pushed it, they heard such gossip about the Chassidim, such slander about the Alter Rebbe, about the Magad, about the Balshemtiv, about Rebbe Aaron Kalin, about the Ritzik of Bardichev, and a lot of things were simply lies. They were simply made up stories. But there were genuine religious Jews who were afraid that here we have another Shapsi Tzvi debacle, another false Mashiach debacle, disintegration of Judaism, disintegration of Allah. So they went to war. That's one type of Machlaikas. So you have a Machlaikas that's partially based on facts and rumors and lies that are spread. But then there's a deeper type of Machlaikas where there are ideologically, there may be different approaches, different opinions. So it's important always to distinguish because sometimes the same machlaikas has a lot of different factors. And that's extremely aggravating. Now God allows it to happen also because some greater truth emerges from, I guess, people pulling in different directions and it's par- there's paradoxes and then from the paradoxes you can really come to a larger truth because in the middle <laughs> you can't get to that larger truth. I go to this extreme, you go to this extreme and from the extremes a deeper reality can emerge. But still, when you see these types of machloikasin that are based on, you know, narcissism or terrible insecurities or traumas, it's very, very painful. It seems to me that the misnagdom of old who oppose Hasidus, many of them will ashamed Shemayim. That's true. I have a lot of empathy for where they were coming from. It's the same today with people who are stuck. I need to have empathy too. Sometimes I'm misinformed. Sometimes I don't understand what you're doing. Sometimes I really think you're endangering Judaism and we have to have empathy. Yeah, you're, you're 100% right. If you want to know one of the most inspiring, uh, for me, literature, if I could call literature, one of the inspiring uh, wisdom in history is to read, there's a sefer called Igris Kodesh Admur Hazaken, Letters of the Alter Rebbe, to read how he wrote about the Machloikas against him is awe-inspiring just awe-inspiring, how he asks of his followers and disciples to treat those who oppose them. What about an argument between parents about the education of children? One wants the children to follow this way, and one wants the children to follow a different path. Yeah, that can get very, very ugly and very, 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 very sad, very painful. And sometimes they're fighting because they hate each other. And if they would think about the children and think about Hashem, they have to realize that we need to work together. We have to work together. And even if we have differences of opinion, we have to find a way of creating some reconciliation. 
That's the saddest thing about fights, when it becomes all about victory, not about truth. I do not want you to win. I will do anything for you to lose. It's called natschanas. And my baser instincts emerge, my lower angels. I become vindictive, and I sometimes do things that I would never do just to win the fight. And it's very, very sad because the children suffer. You see this with couples. When they're getting divorced or after they get divorced, they use their children as missiles against each other. They're not thinking about a larger truth, a deeper truth, about reconciliation. Even if you're not best friends, and even if you're going separate ways, but why should the children suffer from your animosity? So you say, yeah, but I disagree with her. I disagree with him. Okay, I understand. That's why you're getting divorced. You can't work it out. But we have to have that humility and vulnerability and sense of affection and sensitivity to our children's fate to be able to figure out a way of somehow bridging the gaps. And when there is goodwill, you figure things out. What about the Machlaikas on the Rambam? The Machlaikas on the Rambam is similar to the Machlaikas of the Chassidim and the Misnagdim. There were great sages, including Rabbeinu Yoyna, Rabbi Meir Abulefiyah, the Rameh, who opposed the Rambam ideologically. They felt that the Rambam is a danger for the Jewish religion. Some of them burnt his books. Later they did tshuva. Rabbi Nuyoyna wrote Shari Tshuva. Part of it was because of his repentance for what he did to the Rambam Svarim. So they meant well. They meant well. They had Yerush Shamayim. They misunderstood the Rambam and his impact. It doesn't mean there's no disagreements. You see, that's what happens to Yosef and his brothers. Because it was a machleikas l'shem shamayim originally, so even though it became very, very uh, painful, the machleikas led to such painful places, but God knew it was l'shem shamayim, and therefore ultimately both of them endured. There's Yosef and there's Yehuda. Any machleikas that Hashem knows is really l'shem shamayim, ultimately both sides are going to win. Because a larger truth is going to emerge. If it's not L'shem Shemayim, okay, then one side will ultimately disintegrate after it destroys itself. They understand? That's the difference. Yosef and his brothers, there was terrible misunderstanding, but it was L'shem Shemayim. It was how to find a Beis Hamikdash for Hashem. It was how to find a place in the world, in Olam Haza, where divinity can be manifested. Ooh, that's a good argument. That's a good argument. How to combine pshitus with ischalkus, undefined reality with defined reality, pre-symptom with post-symptom, infinity and finiteness. Good question. Ultimately, there's going to be a 13th gate that encompasses all the gates. The Beis can only be from all of them together. There's different gates and then there's the 13th gate. What's this 13th gate like? Ah, this 13th gate is very, very deep. The 13th gate is never about color war. My team versus your team. Red versus blue. This group versus that group. This hat versus this hat. This yeshiva versus that yeshiva. This rebbe versus that rebbe. The moment you go into the color war place, you're now in a very narrow space. The 13th gate is the gate that understands infinity and is open to infinity. And therefore, it's never narrow. It's never my party. Come over to my party and you'll win. The Alter Rebbe used to say, that Chsidis, I heard this from the Lubavitcher Rebbe maybe a hundred times. Chsidis is Nishkein Maflega. Chsidis is not a party. It's not a p- political party. It's for every single Jew. So here's two ways of understanding it. Two opposite ways. One way is ultimately everybody's going to come over to my party. No. What he's saying is true godliness is colorblind and therefore it confuses all colors. True godliness doesn't need you to look a certain way. To speak a certain way. I'm not threatened by any form, by any structure, because every structure and every form ultimately is connected to the infinite. That's the 13th gate. The 13th gate requires an infinite experience of life. It never eliminates, it never amputates, it's never threatened. It takes all the stones and turns them into one. And then there's no question where the tzaddik is going to put his head. We're all one. 
If the head is on you, the head is on me. If the head is on me, the head is on you. The body doesn't fight. A body that's conflict, that's fighting with, if the limbs are fighting with each other, there's a name for it in medicine. And it demonstrates terrible illness. When your cells start fighting against you and against each other. You know what the coronavirus does, right? You know how viruses work, right? When they abduct cells and use the mechanism of the cell to start fighting itself. And that's where danger happens. But for this, you need to tune into chesidus not as a party line discipline. It's not a certain party, a certain team that owns it. And now you're going to come into my team. Thank God you missed the point. It's the same idea, by the way, of Jews, the chosen people. What are they chosen for? They're chosen to teach every person that he is chosen in his own way or her own way. The Alter Rebbe says in Igeris HaKadosh, number one, when he came back from Petersburg after Yitzchak, he wrote a letter called Katointi, Igeris HaKadosh 2 in Tanya. And he says, when you touch infinity, then the greater you are, the more humble you are, because in the presence of infinity, there's no ego. Next question. If a machloikis l'shem shamayim ultimately produces a larger unity in Avedis Hashem, we would assume that the argument between the Hasidim and the Misnagdim would create a unity that is larger than the two ways individually. Is that what, is, is that what happened? Are you explaining that politics is all about winning? But this is not about winning, it's about truth. Okay. <laughs> Listen, we know, we know, when the Baal Shem Tev revealed Chesidus, what was he revealing? He was re- revealing the Torah of Geula. He was revealing the Torah of Enoid Mulvadai. That's not for one Jew. It's the truth of everything. It's a truth of reality. The Baal Shem Tev, the Alter Rebbe, the Balatanya, the Sfasem is here. What were they, they were, they were revealing the Torah of Geula, the Torah of Enoid Mulvadai, the Torah of Oneness. It's called Pnimiyas Torah, that was given by Matan Torah. But there was a misunderstanding. The Vilnagon and other great Jews felt that Judaism was so fragile and so vulnerable. The Gullus was so painful. And they felt that this is a tremendous threat for the future of Halacha. The Alter Rebbe and his, brother, his friend Reb Mendel of Vitebsker, Reb Mendel went to Vilna to meet the Vilna God and speak to him and show him that the teachings of Hasidus are not undermining Halach. On the contrary, they are completely consistent with all of Torah and not just consistent, they capture the Pnimiyas Torah. And there's no question that if the Alter Rebbe had a chance to talk to the Vilna God, the Vilna God would have made peace with them. He would have seen who he was and what they represented. Rabbi Yosheber Soloveitchik, who was a grandson of uh, you know, Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik, the, the dynasty of Rabbi Chaim of Alojin, once said that I'm certain that the Vilna Gaon didn't see the Tanya. The Tanya was published just one year before the Vilna Gaon passed away. The Vilna Gaon passed away 1897, and the Tanya was published in 1797, Sukkis, and the, the Tanya was published 1796. But before that, there were manuscripts that were circulating. He says, if he would have seen the Tanya, he could have never opposed the Balatanya. That's what Rabbi Soloveitchik said. Who was a Mesnaget? A Mesnaget. I mean, he was a real Litvak. Chaim Soloveitchik's grandson. Beis Alevi's great-grandson. The family of the Nitziv. Reb Chaim So there was a very, very profound misunderstanding. And therefore, there was very, very profound opposition. But today you see a world where all of that changed, right? Today, the energy, the, the oneness, the depth of chassidus is ultimately, it's, it's the oxygen of Yiddishkeit. But if chassidim go into their own box and it becomes color war, then you're missing the point. <laughs> then you're just another rock fighting with another rock. Then you're a rock, you're missing the point. Al Rebbe said, don't never turn Chassidus into party line politics. You're talking about godliness. Who does God belong to? Who does God belong to? Which group? 
The pnimius of elikus is oneness. It ain't safe. So if you're in touch with the truth, you go into a space of oneness. And in the space of oneness, you bring out that oneness in yourself, so you bring it out in every person you meet. And that's the essence of everything we're learning. I hope I'm clarifying and answering some of the questions. Next question. I tried. Always, I always try to make peace with my wife. But the other side is not ready to listen. And they don't realize that the children are paying the price. Why doesn't Hashem mix in and put an end to the pain of all my children? It's already seven years. She wants them in an institution that is not religious. What am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do with such a machlaikas? First of all, I'm sorry. This is a very, very painful question. And I don't have a clear answer of what to do. The only thing I would say is, do not stoop down to a space where you yourself get entangled in conflict. You have to have a good support system of wise and sensitive and kind and empathetic people who can guide you in this situation. But it's very, very important not to stoop down to another person's level and get dirty and filthy. And ultimately, don't think about it in terms of who's right and who's wrong. Think about it in terms of what's the best thing I can do to secure the future of myself and my children in the best way possible for them to have the brightest and best future. That's how you want to think about it. Now, I know it's not perfect, and I know that this sounds like a very difficult situation, and there may be vindictiveness here and and other elements coming out. I'm not sure because I don't know the details, but it's so important to be able to think about this in lucid terms and from a place of deep empowerment and empathy and compassion and kindness and not get entangled in the filth of a conflict. That's the best thing I can tell you, and I'm very, very sorry, and if I could be of further assistance, you could email me. Is this the idea of what the Gemara says, Elu ve'elu divrele kimchayim? Absolutely. Erevin, page 13. These and these, Basil and Bishami, are the words of the living God, and it's Erevin daf, Yud Gimel. Yud Gimel begematria echad. Yud Gimel is the gematria of one. That's why it's the 13th gate. Because Yud Gimel is Echad. Aleph is one, Ches is four, Dalit is, Ches is eight, Dalit is four. So eight plus four is 12, and Aleph is one, it's 13. And it's also the gematria of Ava, love. Aleph is one, He is five, Vez is two, He is five. So you have He and He is ten, Vez is two, and Aleph, Ava is Yud Gimel, Echad. And that's what Hashem Echad is, which is going to be the next piece that we're going to learn. But we're going to do that on Monday. I'm trying to understand this. Is this the idea of e pluribus unum on the dollar? From many one. At first Hashem was one. There were no subdivisions. Even in essence he remains one. Then he subdivided so to speak and created creations with all levels and components and paradoxes and diversity. He made a thousand piece puzzle to speak or a million piece puzzle or a zillion piece puzzle. Our job is to put it back together, to gather the sparks. This is the story of the stones becoming fused as one. This is marriage. This is achtos. This is Yud Gimel. This is the historical tax of the, task of the Jewish people, to put the pieces of the puzzle back together and to reveal what once was before creation. And this is the concept of Mashiach, which is oneness, which is Yechida Liachdoch. <laughs> Very well said. And I'm just going to add, what was Yosef's first dream? We are binding sheaves. Ma'alme malumim. What does it say in Torah? Balatanya says, what's binding sheaves? You take distinct stalks and you bring them together in bundles because that's the role of all the shvatim to bring together the sparks and bring the puzzle back together. And then there's Yosef's unique role. If the great tzaddikim were not able to pull all the pieces together, what hope do we have? There's so many profound misunderstandings between Jews. Hopefully we start getting the point. But how, how can we get there? I don't mean to be negative. All of Jewish history is accumulative. It's not detached. You know, today we know in genetics 
that we are the continuum of our parents and grandparents and great-grandparents for the last 5,000 years. The Jews standing at Sinai, the Jews leaving Egypt, the Jews lighting the Hanukkah Menorah, the Jews celebrating Purim in the times of Achashverosh and Esther, the Jews building the first and second base Hamikdash, these are the same Jews. So when things come up, it's just for a tikkun. So everything that existed in history still exists in our psyche, in our genes. And we're dealing with it, we're confronting it, and what comes up is only for us to be able to repair it and create a cleansing. And when we do that, retroactively it fixes all the previous generations as well. In psychotherapy, there is a modality which understands that within us there are emotional parts which have different roles. And they are all in opposition, and they are in opposition to one another. The ultimate task is for the higher self or adult self to integrate these parts into unity and wholeness with the higher soul, which is never wounded. Therefore, I love so much of what you're saying. It applies to life. It seems to me the origin of all that we do not know or yet have to discover. It's all there in Exodus. You said it very well. And the next piece that we're going to learn on Monday, because I didn't get to it today, I thought we'll do it today, is going to talk about how we do this in our own lives, how we integrate the opposites in our lives. I'm going to wish you all a beautiful day. Monday morning will continue, 7.30, Be'ezer Hashem. And in the meantime, I wish you a beautiful day, a beautiful week, a wonderful Shabbos. Sending my love to all of you and blessings, and may all of us have the courage to be able to integrate the opposite forces within ourselves and the opposite forces that we encounter with other people. And remember, when there's a disagreement, don't seek victory. Seek truth. If I'm wounded, though, I can't. I have to seek victory because it's a survival mechanism. But if I could become aware of it, if I could become aware that I'm looking for survival, not for truth, then I can transcend my insecurities. Sometimes I see people fighting, and I just want to say, you know, we all have traumas. It's your traumas fighting with each other. You're not fighting with each other. If you would know you and you would know you, you wouldn't be fighting with each other. But you're traumatized and you're traumatized, so it's the traumas fighting with each other. So both of you, tell your traumas, go, fight it out in a dark alley somewhere in the wilderness, and we will make peace with each other. Have a beautiful day. This class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.